Welcome, Redeem Church and family and friends. It was such an exciting opportunity last week to hear Sir Eddie Johnson bring the word about the power of we. And I loved his message because what he did is he shared that really Christianity is not and never has been designed to be lived in a vacuum, nor individually, but that it's really part of the family of God and it's to be able to share our life and our love for God with our community. So Jesus is really best understood in the sense of community. And Eddie, I love the research you did. I'm all in. Thank you for being part of the Redeemed Family. Uh, what a great word. So if you didn't hear it, go back. You know, we're going through the book of Colossians. And the reason that we're going through the book is that we genuinely want to be a relevant church in the 21st century. And, what we're, and you might look at it and say, well, then why are you going back to the first century? Because this letter that Paul wrote to the believers in Colossae is incredible in being able to set individuals up to know how to experience the life of God and to advance his kingdom. One of the things you're going to see today is that Paul's going to be very careful. He's going to say, I've talked to you at this point about being a change agent, an agent of change, being able to have God impact your life, being able to impact the lives of others in a in our community of believers and then being able to literally transform the communities that you live in. So he, he's, he's laid that foundation for us. But today I'm just letting you know it's going to get um, to where he basically says there's going to be a battle of epic portion. So it's going to be really hard. In fact, it's like this is going to be like facing hell but making it through. And so I just want to give you a disclaimer. This isn't uh, a simple message is not about how to appease people who are looking for the three steps to be a more gentle, kind person. It's going to be a message that says you better look out because there's an enemy. He hates you. And if you're pretending that evil doesn't exist, you're going to go down. But he's going to go on and say there is a way to overcome. And in fact, you've been pre-wired to overcome. So are you ready? Let's do this thing. That's the kind of message. And it's been interesting because when you read through Colossians, paragraph at a day, which is what we're asking you to do. So, hey, redeem, keep reading, one paragraph or so a day. Uh, friends and families that are following us, let's stay in that word, read the whole book. Remember what we said is that if you just take a, a few verses, you only get a little glimpse of what he's really trying to do. But when you read the whole book, you actually are able to see it in terms of the wider perspective that really enables us uh, to, to be captured by what he's communicating. So this is, this is that deeper look. We're reading all the way through it. And up to this point, he's really built that foundation of connectedness. And now he's going to say, when you really are connected, now you're going to be able to handle the harder things. And today's message is a hard thing. And so you also have to remember that he's writing this from prison. If anyone has a right to say, hey, friends, this is really difficult. I mean, good Lord, the man is in prison because he believes in Jesus. If anybody has a right to say, come on, roll up your sleeves, get, you know, get tough, let's have a hard conversation, he does. And so uh, I'm just sharing some of those things that he's uh, moving uh, upon the need of Christians today to be able to know how to walk through hard things. And it's going to begin by having hard conversations. Good news is that he's also going to give us a portion in these 10 verses. Today we're in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 23. But there's some of the greatest news ever as well, because he's going to tell us just exactly who Jesus is. 
And so for some of us, we're wondering, who is this Jesus? How serious should we take him? Paul is going to say that the battle's real, but the Lord Jesus is so significant, so supreme, that you can completely trust him. And so that's the uh, disclaimer that it's not all hard. It's really a very powerful uh, opportunity to lean into his word. So I just want you to turn in your Bibles with me. It's uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 to 23. I'm going to be reading. I, I read from the New American Standard Bible, and there's, there's a reason I use the New American Standard. It is one of the most grammatically co correct and aligned to the Greek, and so therefore it really carries the weight of the word um, by which uh, it was intended. And so it's not always as readable. If you're reading NIVs and King James versions, you're going to see a little bit different words uh, today, but uh, trust me, the, the intent is the same. It's all solid. I'm just uh, inviting you to uh, read along with me, and, and you know, I'm reading the New American Standard Bible. Verse 13 says, For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, were there things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Is that an amazing portion of scripture or not? You can uh, see the depth of it. And Paul here, he's going to say, let's just go to the core of what it really means to be able to walk out uh, this life of Christ, to really be a, an agent of change, to really know what it means to be connected to people in a church and in a community. He says two things have got to happen, friends, and, and they're, they're really very straightforward. One is that you need to be delivered from the domain of darkness. Number two is that you need to be transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. Is this just, is this like, incredibly simple. Do you want to remain in the domain of darkness or do you want to be moved and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son? For me, this is like, is there right? Is there wrong? Is there good? Is there evil? Is there heaven? Is there hell? This is a no-brainer. Why would you not want to be able to experience a life where the king, the person that's head of it, 
is a, is a beloved son. And so I uh, want to make sure that we get the aspect of the difficulty of moving and being taken from a domain of darkness so that we can be set up into the a kingdom of this beloved son because for a lot of us what we do is we minimize evil in such a way to make ourselves feel better and so uh, Paul is not going to in any way look at evil as anything other than pure darkness he's stating uh, scripture from the Old Testament he's actually even referring to Satan who saw himself as the uh, star of light I mean, and so Satan's name is Lucifer. It has to do with this uh, meaning of the carrier of light. And so when Paul says there's a domain of darkness, he's, he's pointing to the fact that if you are not in the kingdom of the beloved son, you need to be delivered from a domain of darkness. So it's not this simple little transition. It's a transference. And I hope you can see the difference. And so... This is one of the most important areas of being able to come to a place of understanding how you get out of a place of evil. So it's going to be a, uh, a conversation by which if we don't see the ramifications of dark and sin, we're going to be trapped within it. And friends, that's why I hate things like even the title, and, and, and I haven't watched it, I wouldn't watch it, but Fifty Shades of Grey. As soon as you even say, look, there's a middle. There's not a middle. There's a kingdom of his beloved son, and there's a domain of darkness. And so why would you even try to pretend or move towards some element of gray as if gray's okay or going to be less dark? I'm, I'm not willing in any way to project upon any teaching of the Word of God that darkness is acceptable that uh, for me it's like I'm drinking some water here and Caleb thank you for the water and Kurt I have total confidence that you didn't take this water over by the toilet and take you know three drops of toilet water in it any drops of toilet water in this I'm not drinking I don't care if it's wine you see what I'm saying yeah how many shades of gray is it before it's not that bad zero septic septic wrong is wrong heaven is a perfect place no pain no sorrow, no sin, pure light. Darkness can't even exist in it. And so when we minimize the negative reality of darkness and evil, what we're really doing is preventing ourselves from seeing the fullness of who God is in his kingdom. And so God's not trying to get us a little bit cleaned up so that we can behave well. God is transferring us from the domain of darkness and putting us into his forever kingdom of his beloved son. I can remember just uh, making transitions and how significant they really can be. And I was uh, 23 years old when I got married, I was 22. When I met my wife, we'd known each other for about three months. And one night uh, we were on a study date and we were leaving a little restaurant place where we were studying and we were walking out to my 1974 Dodge pickup, beautiful forest green that I used to call Beamer. Anyway, so we were walking out to the pickup and we got about halfway across the parking lot and it just kind of dawned on me, I really wanted to marry her. And so I just said right there in the middle, I said, hey Marcy, I think we should get married. You know, it was interesting. She looked at me 
in the, like, what? And then she said, are you asking me to marry you? And I thought about it, I said, yeah, you know, I think you should marry me. And I, you know, I don't even remember to be truthful what she said, if she said, okay, or yes. I mean, it was such a nonchalant, cavalier, wrong way to go about it. And uh, I mean, thank goodness, nine months later, we really were married. And I can even remember on that uh, day of our marriage, we made that traditional decision that we wouldn't see each other, you know, until she walked down the aisle. And so we did all the things correctly. And I was in a little side room with just the pastor and we were waiting for the guests to be seated. And then we were going to go out at the very beginning. And um, we were in that side room. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of hit me that this was a really serious thing. I mean, like, oh my goodness, am I going to really be able to take care of her? We're going to start a family. Can I support a family? I started thinking, I don't even have a job. I'm in college. I started freaking. I thought, Man, I didn't ask your dad for permission. I didn't do all this stuff that you're supposed to do. And no wonder, I mean, who would have given me permission to marry her when I was that much of a, like a loser? I just, I was starting to panic. And I thought for sure, she, she's not coming. So I just said uh, to the pastor, I said, hey, Bevan, you know, did you pray with Marcy? Did you see Marcy? And he just really nonchalantly again says, oh yeah, she's fine. And then he's sitting there going over his notes and I'm in the middle of a panic attack that either she's not going to show up or I'm not going to be able to really take care of her the way that a man should be able to take care of a woman. And uh, then all of a sudden, you hear the organ do something, and he says, okay, let's go. And so we walk out there. Can I tell you that when I did see her come to that aisle, that I just started weeping? I, I mean, I was full-on cry. And I'm so grateful that she walked down that aisle. And I can remember at the, during the wedding, She's saying, we got this, we got this. Just breathe, just breathe. Stop crying, we're okay. <laughs> she had to walk me through because the heaviness, the seriousness of what we're doing, this isn't a little transition. This was a decision to be husband and wife forever. Good Lord, it's that significant. And that's really what Paul's doing here. He's saying, do you understand when you really wanna come into a personal living relationship with Jesus, you're going to come into a community of believers. Everything's going to be different. This isn't pretend stuff. This is real stuff. And it begins with stepping out the domain of darkness. And so just as I had to step out of a place of singleness into a place of being married, there is a stepping out. And it's amazing because the Greek word here for transference is a transactional statement. It's moving from one location and position to another. And, uh, and that's what I'm going to acknowledge, that when you understand the depth of what the decision is to follow Christ, to become a believer, it is amazing because you literally have been delivered. Delivered from a domain that no longer has a hold on you. Friends, you, you might still be fascinated by it. You may still uh, ponder a mistake and fall into it. But trust me when I tell you, there's been a transaction that's taken place. It no longer is your domain. When you've given your life to Jesus, our sins are forgiven. We are moved. We are delivered. We are, as some translations said, rescued. We are, as the King James Version says, we are translated to. We are rewritten in a whole nother kingdom. And that's so powerful to me. Now, I mean, I can remember 
before I got married, I was talking to somebody about marriage, and they said, well, you know what you need to do? You just need to go and, and sow your wild oats before you get married. And I mean, I was only 21 or something at the time. I even thought on that. I thought, what a dumb thing to tell somebody. I mean, so if I go and sow wild oats, I'm going to expect wild weeds to grow up. I mean, that's what you get. If you sow a seed, you get that. It's not like, hey, go sow a bunch of wild oat seeds and then you're going to get a beautiful vegetable garden. I mean, this is the same thing. You can't incrementally get out of the domain. You have to be delivered from it. You can't be uh, of this mindset, I'll just go out and do a few bad things and it won't have a negative impact. Bad things make us worse. Bad things never make us better. Wild oats equal wild oats. Vegetables equal vegetables. And so you can't ever stop being bad by being worse. It doesn't work that way. You have to make a decision that you want to move into a place where you get to have a start over and you get to carry out a goodness. And that's the power of what the next statement's going to be. He's going to go on and he's going to say, if you want to uh, bring the new life, then you're going to have to have a change. The good news, transferred out of one kingdom, transferred into the other. And when you're transferred in that other kingdom of the beloved son, then you literally now have the life of the son in us. And we're a different human being. We have the different capabilities. And so I love the fact that not only are we delivered, but that we are literally made new. And so I want you to take a minute um, and just kind of ponder what it means to walk in newness because I wouldn't want somebody to think, okay, I'm going to go live this new life uh, while you don't understand that you don't have to struggle with the old one anymore in terms of being held by it. You just have to quit playing in it. It's really a different mindset. And so those things that have gone on in our life, um, they don't have to have a hold on us. They really don't. And if you're going to the dark to do things, then why are you going to the dark to do them? If you're doing something in hiding, how does that bring a good in your life? And, and so just, would you just take a minute and think of things in your life right now that are counterproductive to living in, a, in the kingdom of his beloved son? And, and why would we be doing it? And would you quit calling it gray? I mean, there is no gray. There's right, wrong, Good, evil, heaven, hell, don't make it more complicated than that. I'm not trying to say that you're going to be perfect in your behavior. What I'm saying is don't deceive yourself by the twisted light of Lucifer who lies and says that gray's okay. It's not in any way going to bring value. And it's so wonderful when you step out of it. Just be like a moth. You know, go to the light, but get out of it. And then and you'll find the freedom of the new life uh, in the beloved son. So anyway, think of a few things that have not brought value to you. And then not only stop doing them, but now would you think of something, what would really bring value to you? What would really bring value to your community, to your family? Let's commit to it. So now we're going to get to the more exciting part, which is secondly, you have been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so when you're transferred, it's interesting, it says that you're going to be transferred to this uh, amazing kingdom and in whom, in this kingdom of the Son, 
we have redemption, which is the forgiveness of sin. I love the word uh, redemption. Redemption uh, means that it's actually we've been ransomed. And so we've been paid for. We've been literally uh, as if, it, if somebody was kidnapped and then they left a note or you were abducted. And then somebody paid that ransom full and they gave you back. That's the concept here. And so the payback is interesting. If you look at this, again, look in your Bible in verse 13, it says, for he delivered us from the domain of darkness. Can we make sure we understand who that he is? That he is talking of the father from verse 12, who made us to be saints of his son in the light. But he says he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So this is what it cost God the Father to pay our ransom now. It cost him the life of his son. That's what he paid. And so some of times we look at it and we go, man, was it worth it? Uh, how big of a deal is the forgiveness of sin? It's huge. God paid everything that he had. That which was most precious to him, he paid. And so he paid for it, not so that we could feel better about ourselves. He paid for it so that we can be free to know him, to walk with him, to no longer be held back and deceived. It's a beautiful thing to be able to let yourself be carried into this new place of really being received into the Father's acceptance. And so um, on the redemption side, let's not minimize it when we talk about the forgiveness of sin. Let's understand that Sin has been completely dealt with by God bringing the best that he very, um, very much needed to, which is Jesus. He didn't hold anything back. Therefore, sin no longer has a stronghold on us. It's been completely paid for. What else could you pay? You can't when you've given the best. And here there's, there's also another uh, insight that we need to understand because now what's going to happen when we turn to verse uh, 15 and we understand about redemption, Paul's going to go crazy. He's going to say, not only did the Father redeem us through the Son, but he's just going to start saying, and do you really want to know who the Son is? And he, he's going to give us some of the most important theology around, believe it or not, the very nature of God. Not just the heart of God, but the very nature of God. He's going to say, this Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. How difficult is it for us to follow a God that we can't see? Yet when Jesus was in human form, you could see who God was. Right there, bam, it's Jesus the way he lived. He's the firstborn of all creation. In fact, all things were created by him. And so if God could create himself when he is from everlasting to everlasting, if he could create himself, he is the one who created himself. But oh, by the way, he didn't create himself because he's always been. And so he is the firstborn of all creation. I. I'm just acknowledging I don't even know how to live in a place where there isn't time or a beginning or an end. Oh, by the way, he is the beginning and the end. That, he's God. I mean, that's how incredible it is. All things were created for him, by him, and through him. And so he, if that's the case, if he had to be created, then he created himself. That's how crazy this truth is. And he, all, he holds all things together. He is the head of the body, which is the church. So not only is he holding everything together, but he's moving this uh, kingdom of his 
forward and he's doing it through people and he has confidence that when we're changed by really who he is by receiving him into our life that we're going to allow him to work through us so we will be the body we will be the ones who work in our communities we'll be the ones who work in our families to allow the love of christ to impact other people he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead he has first place in everything all the fullness of god dwells and exists in him period so some people look at it and they go was jesus really god was he the brother of god is he a friend of god is he a way to God? No, he's God. And, and I, I know it can be confusing because already in Colossians, what we've learned is Paul said, I want the Spirit of God to fill you. Now he's talking about the Spirit of God. Now he's, then he's going to go on, and I want the Father of God to be able to see you as people that can be in his family business, working with him to transform the communities that you, that you live in. I, it's like being a part of this family business that's owned by God, and we get to share in it in being co-laborers and even in the inheritance and the rewards. And then he's going to go on and he's going to, and Jesus was the exact representation of how it works out. And not only that, but I myself in Christ Jesus died for you so that you could come into this family business or into my kingdom. And so uh, we, we wouldn't want to minimize the fact that God himself died on a cross for us. We wouldn't want to minimize the fact that God himself is the one that transfers us into his own kingdom, that he has the right. And so uh, I, I struggle with things like the Trinity. I really do. My mind is not at a place where I can understand some of these deeper things. And I've heard people almost minimize the Trinity. They'll say, well, it's like an egg. You have a shell, a white, a yellow. There's three parts of it, one egg. Uh, and that helps a little bit, but that that's still i mean i just can't see god as an egg you know and then i've heard people also say well you need to understand the trinity in terms of relationships so uh, a woman can be a wife a daughter and a mother and she's still herself and i i get that relational piece to it but where i really struggle is is that there's a place in god where this trinity has all three of these individuals working together forever and from forever in such a way to cause us to be eternally changed knowing that we're finite beings and it's it's going to be that through the life of god through the father the son and the holy spirit that we can be transformed and changed and so i just have to acknowledge i don't have it figured out but i'm going to step into that i'm going to step into it to trust and into his kingdom i'm not going to a limit what God can do because of my own humanness because my humanness has only gotten me this far then he's going to go on and say, he's going to say not only have you been redeemed but you've been reconciled and this reconciled is similar to uh, redemption because it has a sense of uh, an amount being paid but reconciled is now the books are made right and things can function correctly so being redeemed means I paid the price. Being reconciled is I set you back up to where you can work correctly again. And so I like reconcile myself. It gives me that uh, vantage point of seeing that prodigal son returning after squandering an existence, after being so stupid in his life. The prodigal son comes back. There's a father who represents God on the porch watching for the son's return. The son 
returns, the father embraces him and loves him. There's redemption right there, full acceptance. But then it goes to that next step where the father says, bring the robe and bring the ring because I want him back functioning correctly. I'm going to trust him and I'm going to enable him and empower my son to not only be accepted, but belong and to be able to be a part of my family and function normally. That's the power of reconciliation. So now when we look at verse 22, it's going to say, yet he being Jesus has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. This is amazing to me. So what happens is because of what Jesus has done for us, Jesus now is able to present us before God the Father in the throne in heaven as holy, blameless, and without reproach. You know what I get out of that? It's like Jesus is making the ultimate introduction. He's going to say, Father, there's somebody here I want you to meet. It's James Martin Schaefer. And I'm sitting there trembling, still trying to figure out the Trinity and the Son's ushering me to the throne of the Father. And he says, this is, this is Marty. And I'm able to stand before him, not based on what I've done, but on what Jesus has done for me. And I get to have that quote-unquote audience because I've been given the introduction through Jesus. And so, uh, if this could get any better, I don't know how. Oh, I can almost tell you a little and that's the fact that it's in the now verb form. So this isn't going to be when I die, am I going to be given access to the throne of God? You have been reconciled. You have been redeemed. This introduction took place the day I received it. And so I right now am able to be able to go to God and start experiencing some of the life that he intended for me in the first place before I went and played gray and dark. I am so encouraged in that the holiness and the blameless and the beyond reproach is what Jesus says about me. Remember when it said, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, it was because the Holy Spirit would fill us. It wasn't because of our own activities. It was because of God's desire to see us be successful. Therefore, he gives us the Holy Spirit as he gives us right standing through Jesus Christ. And so, friends, you know, when we pray with people and they say, yes, and I'm praying this in Jesus' name. Don't take that flippantly. That's a serious moment. When you say in the name of Jesus, what you're doing is you're acknowledging that we have access to the very throne of God because of Christ Jesus. So we're in the presence of the Father in right standing. And so again, the danger is that we take things uh, to mean less than what they really mean. I'm not wanting people just to tack on Jesus' name to things. They think that's okay. But would you stop and have a deeper look and see what it really means? Can you see the power of aligning ourselves to the kingdom of his beloved son? It's, it's so compelling to me that I just can't see wasting time in the domain of darkness. And what I want us to do is to be so blessed and so comfortable with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that we're able to bring that sense of his peace and his life to other people who are still in the domain of darkness and don't get it, right? And so what real Christianity is, and, and this is amazing, but this is what I really believe Paul's trying to tell us in this passage, 
If you want to experience real Christianity, something that will transform a community, something that will cause a church to be relevant. Listen, you don't know how irrelevant people see the church. In my state, in the state of Washington, 80% of the people claim no religious affiliation. They see no value in a religion or church. And sometimes I even wonder about the 20% that actually come. I mean, how valuable they feel and how relevant it is to them, right? And so that's why we at Redeem, we are on a quest. We are on a mission to find out what will make God's church relevant in our community right now. That is our quest. Nothing short of that. And that's why Paul's saying, look, man, we've got to shoot straight. We've got to get this right. I need people to understand that Christianity is people who can literally be comfortable knowing who God really is to the point that they're at peace with it and that they're alive with it and that they can then go and have really hard conversations with people who are in the domain of darkness. And that hard conversation isn't judging people. It's not attacking people. It's literally being able to have a conversation that's saying, what is going on in your life? What can we do to bring value to your place? Can, do you have somebody that you can talk about hard things with, or are we shutting you out because we're going to judge or, or we're fearful of what you may say or you, what you may do, or we've put up these facades that keep you out, or that we've made church less than a place that carries the very life of God himself to where we could actually pray about things that matter. Church, I want you to just take a moment right now and ask yourself, uh, when, when was it that somebody had that hard conversation with you? When did somebody come to you and say, you know what, I really believe, I know you well enough, I believe that you need to make a course correction in your life. We should be able to have those with our families for sure, right? And yet some of our own families, we're uncomfortable talking to our own parents. If we aren't the best at having hard conversations with people, then our church is not going to be relevant. We've got to be able to have hard conversations in the church. We've got to be able to have hard conversations outside of the church. We need to be amazing listeners. We need not try to fix people. We need to be able to have hard conversations and ask questions. Our job is to not do the fixing, remember? He said to let the Holy Spirit fill you with all wisdom, with all power, with all knowledge. We carry the truth. And so when we can carry it to a hard conversation, we're relevant. If we can't, then we're not. And here's, here's my kind of quandary, is that the reason a lot of us aren't having hard conversations is because we haven't put the time and the effort in to get the hell out of the gray and get into the light. We're sitting there playing and pretending when things are really serious. Look, get away from the stuff that's distracting and move into the stuff that's real and forever. Care about people like you've never cared about them before and just love them. Let, let your life be a, a life that's completely committed to the kingdom of, of what? His beloved son. That's how it works. And I just want to conclude this message by saying that if you can open up and have hard conversations with people, it's probably one of the greatest gifts you'll ever give them. Think about it in your own life. And so I, I want you to, even right now, just ask yourself, believers in Jesus, are you somebody that others know that they can come to? Not just when they're crashing and burning, 
but before they crash and burn? Can they have those conversations? And are we building those types of relationships? I love the fact that we don't have to be perfect. I am a cracked vessel. We're all cracked vessels. But Jesus said this, the light is meant to be out for the city on a hill. It's not to, meant to be under a bushel or a basket. And even if we do put it under the basket, as long as we're cracked, some light's going to get out. Look, look, friends, I'm not saying be perfect. I'm saying be open. Let the light, the true light of God in this kingdom shine out through us to where others want to come to the light. That's what it means to be a believer. And then number two, pre-believers. That's what I'm going to call you because I've got some people that I really love and you have not really uh, given your life fully to the Christ. You're like one foot in and one foot out thinking you can walk the gray fence. I'm just telling you right now, I love you enough to say it doesn't work that way. When you die, it's not you do one, one thing more good than bad so that you make it in. When you die, you're not going to be able to say, well, I sure am glad I did all that bad stuff and got it out of my system. It doesn't work that way. And what a wasted life that would be. What it, this is the way it really works. When you say this, Lord, I want my life to count. I want to give myself to you. I want to give myself away like you gave yourself for me. That's what I'm committed to. When you do that, it's just saying, Lord, I want to receive from you a new life. And so here I am, Lord God, God of all, Jesus Christ, would you please receive my life and do an exchange. I don't deserve it, but would you redeem me for a whole new life, a new life through your son, a life filled with the Holy Spirit. Just ask him, he is a good father. And then listen, join that family business. You're gonna be in, the father's gonna put you to work, but he's gonna bring people around that will really have your best interest in mind. And that is our commitment. I just bless you in this journey. In the name of Jesus, amen.